0: Welcome to the Sky Pilot podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Where are our tears? He sat across from me in my office, and to my gaze, he looked weary and overwhelmed. His wife had died recently, and he wanted to come by and tell me what was going on in his life. And so I asked him how he was doing, and he said, good, really good, actually. He told me about how he was staying busy. He'd gone to lunch with friends and renewed some old hobbies that had fallen by the wayside during her illness. He told me about cleaning out her closet and going through her things with family and her friends. Finally, he said he'd gone for a walk recently, and he decided to follow the route they had used to walk together. It was wonderful to enjoy that routine again, and it made him feel a little closer to her in his absence. As he told me this, he began to cry, quietly at first, and then eventually convulsing with whole-body sobs. We sat together in my office for several minutes as his need to express his grief overwhelmed him eventually he quit fighting it and he just let it come following his tears and then a brief time of silence he said i'm so sorry i told myself before i came to meet with you i wasn't going to cry Now, I have to tell you something. In my decades as a priest, with countless numbers of people sitting in my office to talk about their lives, this may be the single most common thing that's been said to me. I've heard it so many times I can't even count. They begin to cry and then inevitably say, I'm so sorry. I told myself before I came to meet with you I wasn't going to cry. There's something about crying that makes us ashamed. We don't want to cry. We aren't supposed to cry. This understanding starts really early in life. And to be honest, I don't really know why, but we start teaching our kids not to cry as soon as we can. Think about it. Your child falls while you're teaching her to ride, the, ride a bike and she begins to cry. You sweep her up in your arms and say, shh, don't cry. You're okay. Daddy has you now. I don't know. I guess in these moments, we really aren't saying to our child, you aren't supposed to cry. I think as a parent, what we're really saying is, your crying makes me uncomfortable because I feel like I failed you. Please don't cry. And to be fair, there is a certain biological component to all of this as well. Surely crying is supposed to make us uncomfortable. Our baby cries and we respond. That's the way it works. We are hardwired to have a visceral reaction to the crying of a child and to want to make it stop, to solve the problem, whatever it is. That's how a child communicates in their very first days, weeks, even years of their life, and we're designed to recognize the need and respond. There are probably a lot of reasons for it, but crying makes us uncomfortable and embarrassed, and this embarrassment when it comes to crying, is probably why we have such a problem with the scripture passage in which Jesus weeps. It happens in the 11th chapter of John, and it's really a fascinating story because there is so much going on. So I'll give you a little context first. If you think about it, the gospel writers writing the story of Jesus in first century Israel, they didn't have cheap, readily available tools for jotting down notes or writing their thoughts. Writing was a time consuming and expensive process. There were no cheap ways of writing, and every letter had to be painstakingly written by hand. And it had to be written on either animal skin, known as parchment, or papyrus, which is made from extracted plant material. But either way, it took a lot of work to just create the medium upon which the words would be written. This is important because when the materials are expensive and time-consuming, it causes the writer to be very careful, judicious, limit the number of words they are used to tell the story. And it influenced how the Gospels were written and meant the writers had to decide what made it into the Gospels and what didn't. There wasn't room for everything, so the decisions were made as to what supported their main point. And their main point was that they wanted the world to know that Jesus was the Son of God and had come to proclaim God's love and redemption for the world. And anything else that didn't directly support that point tended not to make the cut. So consequently, we don't know the kinds of personal details about Jesus that we would find in a modern-day biography. We don't know his favorite color or if he was a late sleeper or an early riser. We don't know if he favored a particular style of clothing, nor did the authors describe for us little details such as, say, the unique sound of his laugh. And these are all elements— that would make it into a modern-day biography, but are to us glaringly absent when we as modern readers read the Gospels. But occasionally, small personal detail slips through. And one such detail is his relationship with one particular family. There were three siblings, a brother and two sisters, and their names were Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They don't even show up as part of the hordes that physically followed Jesus in his ministry through the countryside of Galilee, but Jesus is frequently seen with them. He clearly loves all three of them dearly, and it could easily be argued that we get to know the personalities of the two sisters better than almost anyone else in the New Testament, and certainly of all the people in the Gospels, this is true. And in this story, a messenger comes to tell Jesus that his friend Lazarus has fallen gravely ill, and Jesus takes a long time to go to Lazarus. The author even implies to us that the delay is intentional, and by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has died. Someone runs to go tell the sisters that Jesus is coming, and Martha, the opinionated, outspoken type A sister, goes out to greet him but she greets him with a confrontation if you had been here my brother would not have died and mary the other sister whose personality is more carefree non-anxious and even a little bit flower child vibe compared to her sister she stays at home when jesus arrives after he's been confronted by martha he asks to be taken to the tomb of his friend lazarus Martha then hurries home to collect her sister because Jesus has asked about her. Now, both Mary and Martha now catch up to the group, and Jesus at the tomb asks for the stone to be removed from its front. Martha, again, the practical one, argues that her brother's corpse has long since begun to stink. But Jesus insists that they remove the stone, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. But in between Mary and Martha arriving and the stone being rolled away, something interesting happens. Jesus cries. Matter of fact, there's a very popular trivia question related to this verse. What's the shortest verse of the Bible is the question. It's this verse, John eleven thirty five, 35, because it's just two words long. Jesus wept. To be accurate, it's not the shortest in the original languages, but as it gets translated into English, it is. But this moment of Jesus weeping at the grave of his friend has left many to wonder, why? Why is he crying? I think crying makes us uncomfortable, and watching Jesus cries makes us really uncomfortable. So we want to know why. Why? There have been a number of answers positive, but I'm going to give you a couple. One of the theories is that he wept in the face of his own coming suffering, and this isn't too far-fetched. As he stood outside the tomb of his friend, it's entirely possible that he looked upon the stone which blocked the entry to his friend's tomb and was forced into an awareness that this would be him before too long. And if that was his realization in that moment, then it would be understandable for him to be overwhelmed by the realization of ridicule, suffering, and abandonment that he would have to endure before his body was placed in the tomb like this one. As I said, the argument for this one is feasible, but it doesn't feel right to me. Jesus is on a mission right from this moment, he's responding to the death of his friend and the detour into his own apprehensions about his coming death though understandable seem out of character for Jesus when he seems so focused on Lazarus at this time another answer for why Jesus cried that has been offered was that he cried because of the lack of faith of the people around him as he stood at the entrance of his friend's tomb Everyone was so sorrowful, and their sorrow proved, according to this theory, they really didn't understand anything about the nature of God and God's power. They had listened to Jesus, followed him from town to town, but they still didn't understand. So he wept in disappointment at how little faith they had. Now, this explanation doesn't work for me at all. If you read the gospel stories of Jesus' ministry, you see Jesus is literally confronted by lack of understanding and faith by practically every single person he meets. So I don't really see this moment as being the one in which Jesus suddenly realizes, you know, there are a lot of people who don't understand. Before I move on to the third answer as to why Jesus cried, I want to make a point. I think the question Is the wrong one. Rather than asking why he cried, we should respond to the question with another question. Why shouldn't he cry? What about Jesus' tears makes us so uncomfortable that we feel a need for him to, in essence, explain himself. For those of us who are Christian, we believe that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. And one of the really important theological nuances of Christianity is that all aspects of humanity were a part of him. Okay, we say the sinful parts weren't there, but everything else that is human was a part of Jesus. So, hunger? Yep. He ate food when he was hungry, and we don't ask why. Thirst? Check. He drank to quench his thirst, and once again, nobody asks why. Did he sleep? Yes, because he was fully human, and humans sleep when they get tired. How about sorrow or grief? Did he feel those things? And the answer is, are those human in emotions? Yes, of course they are. Then he felt them, and therefore, of course he cried. Back to all the people who cried in my office, what's interesting is that After they were done crying, after they finished saying, I'm sorry, I told myself I wouldn't cry, many, if not most of them, wind up telling me how much better they feel. Crying acknowledges the sorrow and the grief and the hurt. It allows people to be present with how they feel and be honest about it. Sometimes, like the story I told, the person just needs to be allowed to sit with their grief and express it freely, and other times people have wept tears as they remember an abusive relationship. Sometimes they acknowledge the abuse happened years ago and they've never allowed themselves to cry and acknowledge how deeply angry and hurt they still are. Crying is a natural, healthy, even vitally important response to sorrow and pain in our lives. I think Jesus approached the tomb of his friend and he realized the people around him, Lazarus' friends and family, they were in deep pain as they experienced the grief over the loss of their friend. Jesus wept because that's how healthy communities allow themselves to respond to shock, loss, pain, and grief. As I said, I think the question as to why Jesus cried is the wrong one. An even better question for us at this time is why aren't we crying? If Jesus were physically here in the moment to take our question about crying, I have to think that he would, as he so often did with people who asked him questions, turn it back on us. So we say, why did you cry? And he says, why did I cry? You have collectively watched a man be killed by the community's representatives of law, fairness, and safety. They placed their weight upon him until he had no more breath, until he was dead. He was not the first. He will not be the last. He's just the first you seem to have noticed I think the question Jesus would have for us is, why did I cry? Why aren't you sobbing? It's not just the death of George Floyd. It's the dawning awareness in white America that a part of our country sees, feels, and experiences life in our nation very differently than we do. Listen to the words upon which our own nation was grounded. In the Declaration of Independence, we are founded upon these memorable and powerful words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We established our nation upon these powerful and stirring words. Words to remind us that we are all equal, created by the same God, every single one of us. And then we immediately failed to live up to those words we had written. From the very beginning, we failed. Our selfishness, greed, and bigotry created a living nightmare for people within this nation. We failed, but the words, they were still there. They have endured calling to us. It's time to follow Jesus' lead and weep. Weep deeply for the pain and suffering of black Americans. Weep as we acknowledge our sins of bigotry, hatred, and indifference. Weep for the lives that have been needlessly extinguished. And then pull together. Remember the principles upon which we proclaimed we were founded. We don't need new founding principles, we just need to live into the ones we already have and work together to truly become the nation that we have proclaimed ourselves to be, a bastion of hope and equality where all people can say we are truly a nation of liberty, and justice for all. That's all for today. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I encourage you to do so through email or Twitter. Just remember, the address of both are skypilot with three T's, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. That's skypilot at gmail.com, or my Twitter is at skypilot. Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.